growth in aquaculture is actually happening in a very heterogeneous way, at least geographically. So there's a lot of growth that's happening in Asia. If you're here in the United States, for example, you don't necessarily look out of the oceans and say, wow, there's this explosive boom of aquaculture. But globally, it's growing, particularly, as I say, in Asia. Now, the thing about aquaculture is that uh, clearly we're going to need these new, this new source of food. We have a lot more people that are coming online on our planet. We have a lot more neighbors very soon as we grow to seven, maybe to, from seven to maybe 10 billion people on our planet. And many of those people, as they become increasingly wealthy, are going to look for more protein. And there is a limited amount of supply you can get from land, so we're going to need to draw new food from the oceans. And so aquaculture will be an important way for us to get that food. The important thing about aquaculture, however, is getting it the right way. There is, just as there is on land, there's dirty farming and there's wonderful, clean, um, very healthy farming. Clean in terms of uh, the health of the product coming off these farms and clean in terms of the impact on the environment. The same is very much true for aquaculture. The very exciting thing in aquaculture, though, is that we're coming up with techniques to do it better. And that's, that's really encouraging because, you know, when we really begin with this sort of exponential growth of farms in the oceans, that could really be a game changer and it could be a negative game changer for the ocean. So it's important for us to keep an eye on the industry, make sure it's clean, make sure it's healthy, both for us and for our ocean ecosystems. So the, the, the interesting thing about the oceans is that we often think of the oceans as being a marvelous place for all kinds of biodiversity that we love to go and visit, right? We go out on whale watches, or we go diving in kelp forests, or some of us even get in shark cages, right, and go see these spectacular animals. Well, there is truly that beauty in the oceans, and there's truly that sort of mystery and wild, wildness that it's embodied in, the, uh, in all of the species, spectacular species that are there live in our oceans. But more than that, uh, all of this life in the oceans impacts our own life in very intimate ways. And, and really one of those pathways which links up to this question and this question about where aquaculture is headed is our own health, is that the oceans essentially are our refrigerator of amazing source of uh, very nutritious food, you know, full of protein, full of a lot of, uh, of micronutrients and amino acids that we don't find in, in other food sources. And so it's really important that we think about uh, the diverse um, wealth and value of the oceans. In this case, the diverse value, the important value that comes from maintaining access to this very nutritious, important food source. Now, that's important to you and I sitting in California, right, that are choosing a healthy dinner for ourselves or for our kids, but it's vitally important for many people in poorer parts of the world, particularly uh, uh, countries in the tropics, lower latitude countries, where the choice is uh, eat fish and rice or simply eat more rice if there's not any fish available. And so you can go through the exercises, and I have colleagues have gone through the exercise of trying to figure out how many people would be impacted if we lost fish to overfishing, if we lost fish to climate change. What would the nutritional impact be on people in, these, in, these, uh, in some of these poor nations? And it would be, it's huge. It turns out that it's, you know, it's tens of millions of people that are in fact impacted uh, through loss of access to fish. You lose these nutrients, you get closer to burdens for, nutri for uh, diseases associated with, with malnutrition, and it's all bad news. So it's really important when we start these and engage in these conversations about ocean health that we realize it's about the whales, it's about these beautiful fish, but it's also about us, it's about our kids, and it's about our neighbors on this planet, about the future of their health as well. Our first look at extinction in the oceans showed some very good news. We essentially saw very little extinction in the oceans. There were, for example, in the oceans in the past 500 years, only 15 animal extinctions. Compared to the same time period, on land we saw about 500 animal extinctions. Now, what we wanted to do is say, okay, that's good news in the here and now. 
What about in the future? What can we learn about the risk, using the risk profiles for animals in the oceans about how stable this good news is? So what we did with a handful of collaborators is we took the risk profiles that you can see for a diverse set of animals, from turtles to whales to large fish to mollusks even, and then we said, what if all of these species that are on uh, the edge of uh, a cliff for extinction, what if they fell off, what if they actually went extinct, how bad would that look in the oceans? And it turns out that this good news actually could go south on us pretty quickly. It turns out that if all the animals that are now currently classified as being at risk to extinction actually went extinct, we would see an extinction um, event in the oceans that's on par in terms of its magnitude with some of the largest extinctions we've seen in the ocean's history. Long ways off. We're talking a couple hundred years, but I think that's a good way for us to sort of internalize uh, where we sit. We're in a really good place right now. The oceans are really quite healthy. We have a special opportunity to keep them that way. We decide whether we're going to head down this scary pathway towards something, as I say, that looks like um, these really unpleasant biological events in Earth's history, or we can make a set of really informed, careful, responsible decisions that gets us away from that history. It's, it's exciting in many ways because the future is very much in our own hands. So mining in the oceans historically has been something that uh, has been more science fiction than it's been science. But through a set of sort of revolutions, both in economics and in technology, we're now well po poised to be able to start drawing minerals, mining in, in some of the deepest parts of the ocean. So we have 300 ton machines, six times, six times the size of a bulldozer, for example, that are these waterproof robots that we can send down to the bottom of, again, the deepest parts of the oceans to gather up to mine out minerals. And the things that we're looking for down there are things like uh, gold, manganese, sometimes silver, a lot of rare earth elements, the kinds of things that you'd find in uh, my iPhone, in your computers, things like that. So the economics, as I say, have changed. It used to be really expensive and, and, and just to uh, unfathomably, uh, um, it, it made no sense for us to go in, into the oceans and try to mine these, these uh, rare minerals. But now, as they become increasingly rare, they become increasingly valuable. And uh, the economic equations have switched so that we're looking very hard. Countries and corporations are looking very hard at actually starting mining in the oceans. We've gazetted or we've laid out over a million square kilometers of ocean in mining claim areas. We've begun to do ocean prospecting in a lot of these mining claims, trying to figure out how and where it's going to be most profitable to go and to extract minerals from the oceans. As I say, this is um, something that uh, may be a um, this is a predictable part of, uh, of industry and our engagement with the oceans as we learn to take new things and new ways from the oceans. However, I think it's really important as we engage and think about ocean mining, deep sea mining, that we do it responsibly. We, we essentially have, have never done mining at scale in the oceans, and so we have a lot to learn about it. I think we need to be very careful. We need to have science, scientists at the table for these conversations about how we should plan out this new activity to make sure that we get what we need from the oceans and we don't hurt the health of the oceans such that it feeds back in very negative ways on our own health or our other parts of our ocean economy, like our fishing industry or our tourism industries. So it's a really transformative moment now for ocean mining because we're right at the precipice. We'll probably start... Um, Corporations will probably start some of the first large-scale mining activities in 2017 and 2018. So this is something that we need to confront and something that we need to begin to think about how to do well and how to do responsibly. The high seas are another part of the oceans where there are some really exciting and fast-paced things 
changing now, particularly for governance of our oceans. So uh, probably many, are, many people are aware that the United Nations is, has decided that they're going to um, create a convening and they have a set of meetings that have been underway for several years now trying to design a brand new treaty for biodiversity in the high seas. And the high seas, of course, is this vast section of the oceans. It's an area of the oceans that is about 64% or, or so of our global oceans, right? High seas, remember, are the areas that are outside of our exclusive economic zones. They're, they're sort of the, um, the, uh, the, 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 the global commons, if you will, of the oceans. So this is exciting because historically, we've had a lot of issues with thinking about biodiversity futures in, these really, in this really big section of the oceans because when it's outside of the jurisdiction of any given nation, it can easily get caught up in this space of, uh, of um, being a, a tragedy of the common scenario where if you don't take this resource now or this fish or this mineral for that matter from a high seas area, then, then your neighbor will or the guy you're competing with will take it. And, and you just keep going like this until you end up with, with nothing left. And, and that is clearly not where we wanna go. That's not good for economies. That's not good for biodiversity. So it's really an exciting thing to uh, be able to begin this new conversation for responsibility and management and stewardship for high seas biodiversity. Now, transparency is going to be an important part of this dialogue. You can't govern, you can't set laws for an area that you can't manage and you can't watch, right? The exciting thing is that we're wonderfully empowered now through a suite of new technologies to be able to look out and uh, see what's happening in the high seas in a way we weren't even able to do about five years ago. There's a set of new technologies, for example, that allow us through safety sensors that are on vessels that are transiting all around the oceans to collect information from them, sift through billions and billions of data points and figure out exactly where people are fishing, where a lot of people in the high seas are fishing, how they're using this space, what species they may even be interacting with, what methods of fishing gear they may be using. And that kind of information and that kind of transparency is going to be fundamental to figuring out how to govern this huge area of the oceans. Now we can see it. We can use technology to let us see it. We can use technology to help people watch over and enforce this area. And that's really going to matter when we're trying to think about what are we going to do for this huge section, really important, really diverse part of our planet.